Hello and welcome to the Saturday Down South Podcast. He is Chris Marlin. I am Conor Guerra. I have some big news. I finally understand what Devin White is talking about. Shout out Daisy May. Oh boy. I got on a horse. You did? Last week. For the very first time in my life. Shout out Ellie. That is my mother-in-law's horse. One of her three horses. I rode that horse. I controlled that horse. Whoa. I owned that horse. I was the boss on that it's horse. Really aggressive. Yeah. I, I mean, the horse isn't here for like, you to like, hear that. So I like, yeah, it. I like you know, the attitude. Just, just but, I mean. but I get it now. I get what Devin White is talking about. I'm not saying I'm going to go like full on buy seven horses or whatever. But yeah. like I get the appeal of getting on a horse. Shout out to everybody. That's three shout outs I've given in the first 45 seconds. Uh, to everybody that has ridden a horse and been good on it, I was better than my wife on the horse, so sick brag to me. I'm uncomfortable. Um, I, I will say, it takes me back to my favorite quote of all time, Connor. I didn't ride a horse this weekend. However, could have found a piano. Pianos and horses, same thing. Are they? No. Remember what my stepdad said at Christmas? And he was like, you know what? I mean, the horses are just like pianos. Somebody just give you a horse. It's too that's much to keep up true. with. No. That's not true. Well, you know, I mean, I know a horse guy, so that's all I'll say. Yeah, uh, a lot of work, but yeah, I was in town for I was in uh, Indi- back in Indianapolis for a wedding over the weekend. Had a really good time. I have a question that I want to want to ask you before we get to. We have a lot of stuff that we're going to get to. We're going to talk Chris Steele. We're going to talk some Power Five head coaches. We have some peak offseason content that we're going to get, get to some rankings. On our end, we got some rankings. What's what's the offseason on some rankings? Um, we have a lot of good stuff to get to today. But before we get to that, uh, wedding protocol. For giving a gift. Oh, boy. I realize every person's different. Not every person's situation is different. Your relationship with whoever the bride and groom are, different. I am, I've am. i developed a pretty standard policy. 100 bucks and a card. That is a solid play. Um, you get a full year. Now, I, I, do my friends... Really? Put, yeah. Do my, do my friends put you up to this? No, I was, no, 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 no. Oof. I'm just curious because you're you're going through the wedding process right now. You're engaged for everybody who doesn't know, and and you know you've been to a lot of weddings before. So I'm, I'm just interested in hearing your experience <clears throat> and how this relates to kind of my my overall thoughts having gone through this. So my best friend Jeff, who I trust on anything that involves being a grown up, hundred dollars in a card. It's what he always did. Now, to be honest, in my 20s when I was a terrible person, I was notorious. For showing up to a wedding empty-handed, oh my! It was I. Marley, it was Marley, so Marley. bad. I didn't realize how dumb and selfish oh, that yeah. was. And I'm very nervous about the karma that could keep coming around next year at the wedding. Regardless, you get a full year. You get one full you year. Know? You do. I didn't have a single person who sent me a late wedding gift. I mean, oh no, I take that back. I had a cousin who sent me like a hundred dollar gift or a fifty dollar gift card to StubHub that I later used on Beyonce tickets, which was pretty fun. I mean, I googled it. If it, you know what, though, if it's a destination wedding, like, I'm not getting you a gift because you've already made me spend all this extra money to, find to go on a trek. Now. Yeah, I mean, it's any, anything that involves over $1,000 for a weekend. Okay, that's fair. Like, if you have to go to Puerto Rico or something, it's like your best friend. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah. All right. I think there are varying degrees of this, but one of the things that you will, you will learn, the single best... The, maybe the single most underrated thing about like getting married, the thing that you're going to forget about, Cash. that is just going to hit you, is having the moment <sighs> after your wedding where you're like, oh, i got to go back to regular life. And if you're not going on a honeymoon, it's like, oh, I'm going back to work in a few days, whatever. And you have this moment, or maybe it's a day later, maybe it's two days later. Whenever it is, though, you're like, oh, my gosh. We have all these envelopes with cards 
full of cash and checks and gifts. And if you do, you know, because a lot of the time, if you don't do a registry or something like that, or if you're registry, like we did a half right. honeymoon registry, um, and that worked out really, really well. It is amazing. And that moment getting to experience all this is so fun. And not to be selfish or anything and say that's why you get married, but it's like my wife and I still talk about that and look back fondly of those moments being like, oh my gosh, this was, remember, remember when we were just like the day later in that hotel in Indianapolis and we were just like counting cash? Yeah. Unbelievable feeling. I, I'm not making again. a joke when I tell you I am actively very nervous about the karma that I have earned because of how stupid and immature I was in my 20s. I was such a wreck. So oh, dumb. Man. So, yeah. All right. All right. Glad you brought that up, on a, on a less happy note, Florida fans, yes, I know we talked a lot of Florida stuff. I hope all the Florida fans liked our Jim McElwain podcast last week. It was a little bit little bit different because of how we, we structured the interviews and stuff and kind of overlapping them. We talked to Morgan and we talked to Neil separately but pieced them together. Shout out our producer, Will, did a very good job with that. But we are talking about something a little bit of a more current and a more serious note with Florida. By now, everybody knows the Chris Steele situation. Of course, the Florida top recruit in the 2019 class who has entered the transfer portal. And as we found out a couple hours after that news hit, it was because he was roommates with Jalen Jones, the four-star Florida quarterback, who uh, also in the transfer portal, and he was there because or he is there because um, he's being accused of sexual battery of two of two different women. Right. As it turns out, Chris Steele wanted to change roommates. We find out that the Florida staff rejected that request. His parents did not like that, and they're like, "Hey, let's let's you don't have to deal with this." And a lot of people immediately are like, "He's going to get his his waiver granted immediately by the NCAA." Oh, yeah, as I wouldn't we know bank on NCAA. that. I wouldn't bank on no that chance. either. Think because it's not two years for doing the right thing. Seriously. Um, shout out to Neil Blackman as well. This is just the podcast of shout outs. That's what it is. Yeah. Uh, Neil Blackman, who wrote a great column for us on SDS about the subject. So Twitter freaks out about this. And then Mullen flies to California, basically to apologize, said, that, you know, I messed up. This is on me. Um, says that the door is open for him to return. Meanwhile, Florida players, Trayvon Grimes, Rick Wells, Kyle Pitts, they take to Twitter to troll Steele right. and basically do a whole, if you're not with us, you're against us type thing. You're not a gator, pictures. gator bait. All of those pictures have since been deleted because, duh, why in the world would you do that? And Dan Mullen, all the while, loses three of his five 2021 recruits that same weekend. And another 29, 2019 four-star recruit is actually going to JUCO because he wasn't academically eligible. Right. All of this stuff has happened in a very short period of time and a very bad time for it to happen in the middle of the offseason in May when we have nothing else nothing to Nothing else about. to talk about. We're not a Florida podcast. Let me start by but saying that. But it seems that. like it. Then. But there <laughs> is, I mean, it, it is, there's, stay out of the limelight. Just stay stay out of trouble. And there's so many layers to this. If you, let's, let's go back for a second. Like, this didn't just happen because he requested to have a new roommate or change rooms and it was denied. He brought this up in January, like right after he enrolled. And, had a bad feeling. Right. And and the reasons why were because of some concerns he had that I, I, I'm assuming were about the character issues of his roommate, which turned out to be pretty true. And and, and yeah, it's, that's not to say that, you know, just because he's accused doesn't necessarily mean he's guilty. But like, if you're being accused of this, obviously... Those concerns are confirmed, and you're, and right. you're correct to at least have some, some fears about that situation. Right. And so all of that comes to light, and, and you realize that, like, okay, this kid isn't just being 
high maintenance. He isn't just being a prima donna, any of those things. And every single, I guess, turn the story took, you realize like the kid made a really mature and responsible and like measured decision. And the reasons why were things like his dad saying, you, your last name stays with you forever. And, you know, if that gets dragged to the mud or there's anything that's like negatively associated with it, you don't need that, especially if you're trying to go, you know, progress into an NFL prospect and, and further your career. On top of that, that ended up happening when his name was listed in the police report because both separate or both instances were uh, happened in their room. Everything he did, he did correctly. He didn't pout. He didn't whine. He asked in January and was told no. I'm so confused at the outrage from Florida fans. So a lot of the outrage stemmed from this belief that what Mullins, Mullins' words that have been kind of twisted a little bit, and they're, they're, it's fair criticism, but it's also not, because Mullen had the comment that's now infamous where it looks like he was commenting on the Justin Fields situation. We, he we was. can't necessarily confirm that. He probably <clears throat> was, I mean, if we're being 100% honest, by saying like, hey, if you know, we had players showing up and then just leaving because something wasn't what we said it was going to be during the right. recruiting process, I think that'd be a really bad look for us. Now, I think this situation is a little bit different. Obviously, you can you know just kind of look at those two things on the surface and say, well, it's your top recruit is leaving before he ever plays a game. That's a bad look. I think Mullen is more talking about playing time when he makes that initial statement and like kind of what's promised during the recruiting process. Having said that, it's still a bad look for you and to say, if, oh, if, you know, you have a kid that's leaving if things right. are different than what you said. If you said to his parents who are out there in California, hey, I'm going to take care of your son. I'm going to make sure that I put him in the best position possible to succeed. If you have that kid go to your staff and say, hey, I feel like I'm in a bad situation being roommates with this kid. And you're like, no, you got to stick it out. That's not a good look on your staff. And the negative recruiting for that writes itself. So, ex- exactly. I mean, the, the problem is with, with what happened with Mullen is he has spent the entire offseason making himself a target. Constantly. Exactly. Actively doing it. And so, when it first broke, I didn't know the severity or the seriousness of the actual, you know, like, incident. Like, what happened with him leaving and why he left. But when you have spent most of the offseason openly discussing... Yeah, you know what? We use for our spring game attendance, we're going to like be trolled, you know, this would be for Florida State score, or, you know, we're going to do the 14,000 thing, which I know he didn't orchestrate, but Florida fans did in general. And the entire offseason, there's no way that wasn't directed at UGA about Justin Fields. I just, I would never believe that. However, even if we give him the benefit of the doubt, you're constantly in the media saying these things. The first thing that's going to happen if you have a single player leave for whatever reason, is you're going to look like an idiot and people are going to jump at you on social media because you've now created a target for yourself. If, if we were playing baseball and you struck out and I made fun of you for striking out and then I struck out, that'd be a pretty bad look. I would probably, I would would. probably deserve like you making fun of me a lot, a lot. So don't, I don't know, what's, I mean, what's the phrase? Don't throw stones in glass Twitter. I mean, it's like, it's, it's so <laughs> like dumb. It's, 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 it's like, and when, when Florida fans were initially upset about it, what really blew my mind was, Mullen should have just wore this, like just took the L and been like, you know what? Probably should have backed off a little bit. Probably shouldn't talk so much trash. This is a, a unique situation, whatever. Because again, you have put yourself, he's done it to himself and put himself in the spotlight. A lot of this problem and in, in why Florida, it has to be frustrating for Florida fans at this point is it feels like a, every piece of drama that's happened this offseason has been self-inflicted. Right. And if you're putting yourself in these situations where like, this is a situation that doesn't see the light of day if 
Chris Steele walks into whatever assistant he has to talk to to clear up this stuff. A lot of times it's director or player personnel. I'm not saying that that's who handled this with Florida. However, this situation worked. And you sit down and say like, hey, I just want to change rooms. I mean, it's not that crazy. It's not that crazy of a request. We were talking to somebody over this past weekend who was like, hey, yeah, this actually happens all the time. And it doesn't necessarily matter like who you are. This, this happens with, with freshmen, with college football players who are, are living together, people from different backgrounds, <clears throat> whatever it is. But, like, this isn't that crazy of a thing. No. And all you had to do was say, yeah, like, we'll, we'll, get you, we'll get you switched. Whatever. No big deal. Because this is, I mean, <clears throat> it shouldn't matter that it's your top recruit. No. But the fact that it is your top recruit now, your margin for error in the recruiting game, if you're damn well, and is so small. Right. And the stat that we keep bringing up and that I brought up multiple times is that it can't be overstated. Before this 2019 class... We forget that Dan Mullen, during his entire time in Mississippi State, signed one four-star recruit from the state of Florida. And it was Cord Sandberg, who obviously now is at Auburn, oh, but wow. he played minor league baseball and did not play at Mississippi State. So, you are still trying to make those inroads in the state of Florida. And you got Georgia, and you got Clemson, you got everybody that you're competing with in Miami, and Florida State, and all these different schools. And the last thing you want to do, the last thing you want to do is give them free ammo to just say, you know what? Because how do you deny that? How do you deny that in the recruiting world? Because all they have to do is say, turn on the TV. Like, look what they do to their look. Look at the situation that their top recruit was put in. Right. I mean, well, so and, and the thing is, like, again, and we live in such like a, a knee jerk reaction type of society, especially with social media, where it's like when something like this happens, everyone wants to give their take or give their two cents, and and you know, assume they know exactly what happened. I don't think Dan Mullen's a bad person. I don't think he has a low character necessarily Nor do I. at all. But when Florida fans especially started trying to like clap back like at us or the media for reporting this. And it was like, once you report the whole story, he was leaving because he was trying to do the right thing by reporting his roommate. And he was like, it's a high character kid. He made, he made a moral choice, like singing his praises for Chris Steele, which is awesome. He did. He, I think he made a, a high character decision. And Neil Blackman wrote all about right. that. Like that's what his column was. The basis was. But if yeah. he did, if he did make that high character, high moral decision, and then said it to Mullen, and Mullen still didn't act on it. That is an even worse look for Mullen. So I'm confused as to what, like, where the defense is from Florida fans. This is one of those things where it's like it's embarrassing. They're in the wrong, and you have to just, you know, I mean, take your foot out of your mouth and just, you know, wear it. Take the L. Move on. There are a lot of short-term and long-term things with this. In short term. You could look at those recruiting rankings right now for tw- the 2020 classes because I was curious, like, oh, like, what's what's Florida sitting at? We're sitting at number eight. Like, yeah, it's not, you know, the sky's not falling. This is the type of thing, though, that can prevent you from keeping a recruit if you're trying or, or, or even trying to go and, and sign one. I mean, th- these are the type of things that come up, especially with how competitive it is right now, especially well, in the division. We brought this up. I brought this up last week. I said, it's not just that you're getting beat on the field by by just Kirby. We're just talking about Georgia, Florida, because that's been like who's been butting heads the entire entire offseason. And that's who he's intentionally gone after the entire offseason. But when you're also getting beat in recruiting, which he has been notorious for his entire career, he's never been a great recruiter. He's been a great developer of talent, but he's never been a great recruiter. So if you're also giving this ammo out at like I would say arguably your weakest trait as a as a coach. Not your best move, man. Not your best move. Said it last week. Just be quiet and get to October when you actually play Georgia. This is, I because mean. Florida had all, has, has, has all this momentum coming off the season that they did. 
But and I'm not saying that like we're going to talk about Dan Mullen more when we're talking about these these Power Five coaches, the best Power Five coaches in the country, because I think Mullen is part of the top ten. Little little teaser there. Yeah. But this goes back to the initial concern that even Florida fans had about Dan Mullen. How does he handle these egos? How does he transition from this job at Mississippi State where nobody's going to be talking about you in the offseason? You're at the place where you've had one winning season in the SEC in the 21st century, and all of a sudden you go into a place like Florida where there are you got an entire quarterback room of four-star guys, and you're dealing with this ego, and you're learning how to handle success at a big-time program, and all the attention that comes with that, how do you handle that? As of right now, I would say that Dan Mullen is not handling that as well as he could be. That's a fair thing to say. Well, and it's surprising if, when you think about, like, the one person, if we're talking about managing your egos, like, I, I would assume Felipe Franks would probably be the biggest issue with that, just knowing his overconfidence. Um, I don't know that, but I'm just, I would assume. But when you're talking about managing egos, especially with, how, like, the landscape and, and how recruiting is nowadays, with people wanting to transfer out immediately if they're not getting playing time, you know, like commit, decommit, all those kind of things, and, and kind of being like more and more prima donnas. This kid did the right thing. He he did the right thing. He showed no ego, and on top of that, he was your highest rated recruit across the board. It's an interesting situation that Florida fans, if their team is winning in 2019, and if they're in position to potentially win a division title or something like that, they're going to look back and say, "Wow, you guys really blew that out of proportion." But at the same time. We talked about that Jim McElwain stuff last week for, for a variety of reasons, many of which were, like, you can take L's in the offseason. Yeah. Like, there are things that you can do in the offseason that can absolutely hurt you during the season if you don't know how to manage your players and how to manage your team. And I'm not, by any stretch of the imagination, saying that Dan Mullen is going to go down the path that Jim McElwain did. No. Oh, I like no, that. No, 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 no. No, 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 Let the record show. Not saying that. But at the same time, you can take L's. Florida has been taking a couple L's lately. We even Florida fans, yeah. you can admit that. Like this has not been the offseason that you were hoping and dreaming for. And now, okay, you got a couple months. You're gonna have your coach speak to everybody at SEC Media Days, and you're gonna probably maybe try and announce some more home and homes to cover up the fact that like you have this ugly situation going on. By the way, conspiracy theory. That's not a coincidence that Scott Strickland comes out and announces, oh yeah, we're gonna be playing Colorado, we're gonna be playing oh Texas. The Colorado thing was a dud, but the timing of that, I, you know, just keep that in the back of your mind. I mean, yeah, and, you know, I think like I'm not trying to pile on here, but the good news for Florida fans, I know they're losing a lot of recruits, but luckily, those recruits probably aren't rated high enough for Georgia to even steal anyway. So that's that's the good news. Whoa. Yeah, throwing some shade. Whoa, you just went there. I did. Damn. I'm sorry, Florida nice fans. This whole time, and then you just had to throw that little. They were jab so in angry there. this week. They were so angry, and like, it, I, I get it's funny. I don't blame them for being angry. I don't though, because there's a lot of don't misdirect things. that anger. That's true. That's yeah. That's fair enough. That's fair enough. Let's get into our ranking of Power Five head coaches. Well, we have not all the Power Five head coaches. We ranked our top ten, and because every time we do a consensus ranking Whoa, together, we geez. end up like hating each other and like basically putting our podcast in jeopardy and threatening each other. No, we don't threaten what? each other. But <laughs> I didn't agree I with either of the last two things. <laughs> so I so. have um, stress relief as my number one overall power five head coach. I'll tell you why stress relief was a little bit underrated. I'm like, no, okay. We're not going to get into that. We each did our own top 10 power five coaches. And now we have a lot of similarities here. Our top six, before I say this, we have um, the same exact coaches in our top six, but right. in different orders, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. 
Why don't you go through yours first, and then we'll kind of we'll break down some of these agreements, disagreements that have been uh, probably talked about a little bit throughout throughout the offseason. You mean so just list, list them off, or do you want me to? Yes, okay. just just start from start from one, go all the way up to ten. All right, one I have Saban. Two, how dare Dabo. you? Three, so three through five, I feel like honestly three through six could be interchangeable. I have Jimbo I at three. Um, then I have Chris Peterson at four. I have Kirby at five. And I have Lincoln Riley at six, David Shaw from Stanford at seven, Gary Patterson at eight, Mark D'Antonio. You said it right. Uh, I've been wow, practicing all day. You. At nine for Michigan State. And then, so 10 is tough for me because I don't want to have the same exact top 10 as you. And I'm going to say this, and I, I don't, don't even fully know if I believe it, but I'm going to say it because I feel like he, he needs the credit and deserves it. Coach O. That is bold. I, and that, I base it off of if I was if I was lining up and playing somebody else, and this is like this coach versus another coach. If it's him, like, and basically it was like him versus Harbaugh, him versus Leach, um, a couple of other fringe guys. I, I took I took Coach O. I'll explain why later. That's interesting. That's interesting because I do think this is how we need to think of this. If you have a good, if you have a, a season, your your season ahead, you you can pick any coach in America of who you want leading your team. Well, Who would you go grab? I don't know about all That's, that. I just, I mean, in this no, yeah. specific, I just, I mean, also like, I don't know. I don't want to like hang my hat on that ranking as like, w- like what makes up my entire top ten. Like, let's not. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I'm not saying it to you. I'm just saying in general. I don't want a bunch of people on the internet being like, this idiot head coach O is a top ten coach in America. But I, I understand kind of what what you're getting at though, and that the way that he is able to motivate his players, and the fact that this guy has, like I said been extremely good against top 25 teams i understand the bama struggles i get that but six and two right. against non-bama top 25 teams in the last couple of years yeah i i could i could get that i don't have coach o in my top 10 well, i'm sorry shouldn't coach steal o, my but. my stats that i was gonna throw out there but yeah i'll get to it later that's that was my stat that was my, come on I, i've been throwing that out all off season to six and two against non-bama teams i think that's it's right not, six and two. so you have not been doing that out correctly what? six and three uh, six and oh against top 10 teams all i'm sorry six and three against top 10 teams since 2013 all three losses are to number one Alabama. All right, fair enough. Top twenty-five. Wait, he's eleven and seven since twenty thirteen. Oh, he was well. He was interim. That's why yeah. I didn't. Well, and so and to be fair, okay. and again, I'll explain this in a minute because I, I was strictly comparing him to his resume to everybody else I had on the fringe, which is like Brian Kelly, Mike Leach, um, who else is the other one? Je- uh, James Franklin, Dan Mullen, and. Oh, James Franklin, no. I did I know, I figured I figured you'd hate that. But I didn't I didn't include any of Coach O's career stats from, from Ole Miss. It's a long time ago. People can change. Give us okay. your top ten. That's that's interesting. That's interesting. So um very similar, like I said at the top. My top ten. One, I've got Saban, even though um Don't. if you read SDS over the weekend. What was that? You saw two di- you saw two different stories, uh, one of which, the one that I wrote, saying let's chill on putting Dabo ahead of, of, of Saban, and the other, written by our editor, Chris Wright, who was like, hey, I think Sweeney's, Dabo Sweeney's a better coach than Nick Saban right now. He is entitled to his opinion. I just love that it was let's, like, hey, let's chill out on the fact that maybe Dabo's not better. And then it was like, let's not chill out. Boom, right there. Let's not chill out. Yeah, whatever. Anyways, I have Dabo at two. I have Jimbo at three, which we agreed on. I initially had him a little bit lower, and I was going to dock him for some of the way that Florida State ended. And you could, Oof. when the APR stats came out over the weekend, and everybody's like, "Oh man, Jimbo really did not leave Florida State." No, he left position. it in shambles. He definitely did. He definitely did. But I think kind of doing what he did at A and M in year one redeemed a little bit of that. So 
Um, I have Kirby at four. I have Lincoln Riley at five. Chris Peterson at six. And I bumped him down just a touch, and I'll explain that in a minute. I have Leach at seven. Um, I have Brian Kelly at eight, which I didn't feel great about. And then I do have Mullen at nine. And then the one that nobody's going to agree with me on, but I don't care because I could explain this till I'm blue in the face. But you can't, I mean, so this is the only one I want to yell at you about is the Pat Fitzgerald thing. Because I feel like what we do with Pat Fitzgerald, and you've had this argument before with our producer, Will, what you do with Pat Fitzgerald is kind of like not as badly, but it's kind of like what that guy did with the ACC, SEC rankings where it's like we're giving him a little bit more leniency and more credit because of the situation he's in. Because he's at Northwestern. Okay. Has Dan Mullen not also been given a little bit of the, and I'm not, not by me. Put Dan Mullen in your top ten. Not, not right, right, right. Yeah. So, but I think it's 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 a similar argument because I don't think the average person would realize like, oh, in three of the last four years, like Northwestern's actually been like really solid, and Northwestern has been to conference champ, been to a conference championship in the last year, and went to a conference championship last year. Had ten wins. I think they've had ten wins in three of the last four they've years. They've had too. ten. T- they've had. Ten wins three times in the last. Uh, it's not. It's not four years. It's 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 less. Than, it's like seven or something like that. I thought I was pretty sure it was four, but anyway, you can look that up. Um, they didn't have ten wins last year. They had nine wins last year. So not ten. Yeah. Not ten. So they would have had. Yeah. So they've had nine. They've had a season of nine. They've had a season of ten, and then another season of ten because they had ten wins in twenty fifteen. Yeah. So he's had three ten win seasons. Uh, since 2012, so that would be exactly seven years. Okay, so that you are, you are correct in, in that regard. Three of the last four years, though, I broke this down because I think um, I saw like somebody went on Fine Bomb a couple months ago. I can't even remember who it was. I think was it Stuart Mandel? Might have been Stuart Mandel. Had a ranking of his top 25 coaches and put David Shaw and Gary Patterson ahead of Pat Fitzgerald, which I will you know respectfully disagree with because. And the Gary Patterson thing, like, I think a lot of people throw him in there because they're like, oh, man, like, you know, TCU was was terrible before him. And like, if you actually, like, break down, okay, he's had he's had the top ten finishes. He's had three top ten finishes since they joined the Big 12. Here's my, my problem with why Gary Patterson was in my best of the rest and not in the top ten. In four of those seven seasons that they've been in the Big 12, they've had a losing record in conference play. Yeah. I mean, that's that's not good. Like you know how many so times Dan Mullen has had above five hundred above five hundred record in SEC exactly. play? And and that's the that's the argument against him. I think Mullen you give a little bit more of a break to because of the fact that Mississippi State, given the program history and like we said with Pat Fitzgerald, the, the place that he elevated Mississippi State to, in my opinion, was at least a lot more respectable where they were at the end of, you know, last three, four years where they're a yearly top 25 team. That team was number one in the country at one point late in the season in November. Yeah. So, like... So, that's the only reason, and I'll just be honest, I said this to Will the other day, I think the only reason people think that Dan Mullen is a really good coach, and and his resume is actually really impressive, and I went back and looked at it because I did not have my top 10. I, I have a lot of reasons why. But what he was able to do at Mississippi State is really impressive. But I think that we consider him, like, we took him from being like an above average coach to like a good or maybe even great coach um, strictly because of what happened for five weeks in 2014. That's fair. I mean, that's fair. That there is, there is a point to be made for getting a program that has just never been at the, the forefront, you know, the upper echelon of college football to getting it to that level where right. we're like, okay, can Mississippi state win a national championship? Like, is this, this is a conversation that we're having. And once you get into that, 
that's that's a, that's a really good thing, obviously, for for a coach to be able to have. And let's also, you know, let's not dismiss the fact that this guy just went took a, a, a four win team oh to the seven ranked team in the country. Like that's that's worth. With twenty, uh, I know he had a lot of talent coming back. And five, I know he had a lot of talent coming back. I know he had a lot of talent coming back, but that's still part of the equation. I'm not saying it's everything, but it's part of it. So I would I would include Mullen in the back end of my top ten um, for that reason. I understand that. You know, a lot of people would have them even higher. And to that, I would say you need to at least get to a conference championship Agreed. game before you're kind of, like, that high. Let me explain why you're wrong about Patrick Fitzgerald first and foremost. All right. Okay, so I understand that over the last four seasons, they're 26-9 in the Big Ten. They've been really good over the past four seasons. However, they've finished ranked only four times in the 13 seasons he's been a head coach. He mm-hmm. is 3-20 all-time versus what I call the big three of Penn State, Ohio State, and Michigan. Right. Um, he is, his overall career, like winning percentage, I believe, is 96 and 70, which is not bad. Mm-hmm. And I understand he's at Northwestern. He's done a lot of great things for that program. However, you're in arguably the weakest division in all of college football. It's completely, completely um, lopsided in terms of, in like, the actual talent and, and, and ranked teams. In the Big Ten. You do get three crossover games now in the Big Ten. Yeah, and, and I just told you what he did with those crossover games. With three and right, I mean, the, against the, the headliner crossover yeah. teams. Yeah, yeah, so, I totally get but that. When, like, he, he's also at, at 96 and 70. That is, like, the, the uh, winning percentage, I think, is like 578, which is 26 spots behind Kevin Mullen. Or, I'm sorry, Kevin Sumlin. 37 spots behind Kyle Whittingham, who also have coached at least 10-plus seasons and over 120 games. I would agree with that. I would also kind of... Say that Kyle Whittingham took over Urban Meyer's program and Urban Meyer left it in pretty good shape. Just going to throw that out there. Not saying and that he's Utah. Kyle Whittingham's a bad coach. Not not saying he's a bad coach by any stretch of the imagination. He is probably a top 20, top maybe even top 15 coach in the country. But, listen, Northwestern, it can't be overstated how bad they were for the 20th century. Like, horrible. Probably the worst Power 5 team in the country. What? I grew up going to these Northwestern games, and they were so unbelievably dreadful. Seriously, like go back and look at the numbers when Denny Green was there back in the day. They went to a like Rose even, Bowl. I don't know. They went to the Rose Bowl in 95. Look at like every other season besides that, though. That's why that season was so unbelievable. They were horrible. Horrible. Connor, they had, after the Rose Bowl, from 96 to 2005, so 10 years, before Pat's uh, before Pat Fitzgerald took over, they mm-hmm. had one, two, three, four, five winning seasons. Where they go? Where they get like seven and five? Uh, eight and four. Not. I'm sorry. Eight and four, seven and five, and nine and three. All right, that's fair. That's fair. There's nothing wrong with that. I put Pat Fitzgerald in that category because I think that he has got Northwestern to a place where it is a yearly top 20 team, and that is not a difficult thing to do at that place, at that program, given all the restrictions that you have from an academic standpoint. We don't need to talk about Pat Fitzgerald this entire podcast, though. We can move on to somebody else. Um, The guy that I think is is somewhat controversial in this is Brian Kelly. I thought we were doing Mullen. Oh, I thought we already did Mullen. No, you did Mullen. Let me tell you about Dan Mullen and his career record <laughs> against ranked teams. So we had this conversation uh, a couple weeks ago because I admittedly don't think I gave Dan Mullen enough credit for what he's been able to do as a head coach, especially at Mississippi State. So, I, and, and I think part of that's because of the fact that I never felt like he won any big games. His overall career record versus ranked teams is 10 and 34. That's bad. Yeah. And, and I think, what is it, six of those 10 wins came in two total seasons. Uh, against top 10 teams, 
six and 15, and all six of those came in just two separate seasons. That's 2014 and then 2018 at Florida. So I get what he was able to do. It's incredibly impressive what he was able to do at Mississippi State when you think about, like, I think they had eight of, like, nine seasons in a row that were losing seasons before um, he should – He took Mississippi State to a bowl game in eight of nine years. They'd only been to 13 in the program history. They had seven losing seasons in the previous eight years before him, six of which Mm -hmm. were were three wins or less. Um, But the ranked teams, like, he never was able to do anything, I thought, of any kind of, like, real achievement and never finish above third or fourth in the division. And I I think it was great what he did at Mississippi State, but, like, why why are we giving him such a, a, a pass when he didn't really win anything of significance that's yeah it's a it's a it's a fair point i tend to i tend to think that in terms of like just your your ability as a coach i think a lot of it has to do with what you take over and i think that where where you inherit a program and what you're able to do with it in terms of culture and yearly not not just have like the one random season but like be consistently there I think is you know an indictment of of who you are as a coach and what your variance is as a head coach so I tend to give him the benefit of the doubt more just because I think getting Mississippi State to that place during the playoff era where we're like, yeah, Mississippi State, top 20 team, like on a, on a yearly basis, like that's not crazy. When, when, when nine games, like to, to elevate a culture and to elevate a program, it takes so much time in college football. It, it usually does. And when you're not a traditional power, we've seen how difficult it is to get to that level. And I'm not saying Mississippi State is on the level of Alabama or Clemson or anywhere near that, right. but... I think that you still have to give him credit, and I still think that he's one of the top, maybe top five best offensive minds in the sport, especially after what he did last year. And that's that's part of this too. And maybe that actually kind of feeds into why I didn't put David Shaw on my list and why I have not given him necessarily a top ten spot yet is oh, because. Okay, hear me out on this. David Shaw is considered a a, a top is considered a, a top coach by many, and I, I would put him in you know probably top twelve, top thirteen guys. But if you're an offensive mind, how have you only had a top 30 offense twice? He's an offensive mind? He's an offensive mind. I He's an offensive he was guy. Like a tight ends coach or, or defense. No. See, that's the thing. Their identity, their identity is defense. And their identity is having a guy like Derek Mason, who's been a great defensive coordinator. And I'm blanking on the name of their most recent defensive coordinator, but he's, I think, Pritchard. I think Pritchard, that ring a bell? But he's been Hair there Bear. for the last four years. Hair Bear. Um, but he's been there for the last four years as well, and their defense has been the heart and soul of that team. And so, like, to me, yeah, he took over for Jim Harbaugh, too, by the way. Which, Harbaugh you know, only had Jim, more than eight wins one, one season out of the four years there, though. Yeah, I know, but, I mean, the, I would also argue, argue that the last season that Harbaugh was there with luck, and I understand he had a quarterback change after that, but that program was in a much different place when he left it to David Shaw. I would just say that. I mean, I wouldn't disagree with that. I, I will, like, circling back to, again, while you're wrong about Mullen, he had one season in nine at Mississippi State where he had over 500 winning percentage in conference play. And he only finished ranked three times, Connor. Three times. They're not a top 20 team. Moving on to David Shaw. Here's why David Shaw is a really good coach. And I, I completely agree with you. The fact He is a really good coach. He is it, a really good he, coach. And I think I'm a lot of his, like, his stats, I don't want to say they're inflated, but they're a little bit skewed because of the early success he had when he first got there. And, like, I mean, don't get me wrong. Like, you're not wrong about saying, like, he inherited a decent program because of what Harbaugh left it. He was 12-1 and in his last season. That's Andrew Luck's last year. But Andrew Luck wasn't coming back for, for Stanford. You know what I mean? Like, they, they're, like, no, I know. I know they had a quarterback. Them and Michigan yeah. State have had, like, the same exact, like, 
two leg brace wearing quarterbacks, like old white kids that are like 23 or 24 with some weird red scruff for like a beard. I feel like that's, they just, they're interchangeable at quarterback. Um, he's 82 and 26 in eight seasons there, which is sixth among Power Five coaches with a minimum of 50 games coached. Uh, he's never had less than eight wins in a season, five with 10 or more, finished ranked in six of the eight seasons. Also, this is why I'm most impressed, is because his record against ranked teams, he's 25 and 16 all time versus ranked teams, That's good. Um, including 10 wins versus top 10 teams in eight seasons. Also, the reason why this is even more impressive is when you talk about like the stuff with, with Pat Fitzgerald and, and, and Dan Mullen and like the academic yeah, hurdles. Yeah, like so it's not just the academic hurdles, it's the fact that Stanford is they know who they are. And so when they're recruiting a player, Stanford offered the least amount of scholarships out of any Power Five school in the country last year. They offered seventy four total football scholarships to fill a class of twenty five. The average Power Five school in. was two thirty two. <laughs> No, that's don't get me wrong. Like what he has built there is impressive. I think I think the knock on him though is the fact that like one he didn't take over a program that needed to be completely rebuilt, and two he did not take over a program and all of a sudden elevate it from what his expertise is supposed to be. That's that that that's my problem. Whereas Mullen, like Mullen, is still one of these great offensive minds. And like you you know you he goes to a place like Florida and how big of a disaster that offense was, and he totally elevates it and changes around the culture and fits it to the skill set and works with Felipe Franks and guys like that. So like that's that's the difference for me in like what I evaluate as a good coach or you know a top ten coach as a guy who can take something and and totally elevate it and turn it around. David Shaw is very good. Don't get me wrong, but I just I would tend to probably favor Mullen in a situation like that more than him. It just it blows my mind. We've watched one of those coaches actually win something of significance. No, it's 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 fair. That's that's perfectly fair. That's that's part of this. How about this this question? Because I went a little bit back and forth on this. The Lincoln Riley against Kirby thing. That's now you could just you could just look because we have them ranked right next to each other, right? Yeah. We you have them uh I have Kirby yeah, five you have Kirby and, and Lincoln six. Right, right. So that's super interesting because obviously they faced each other in the Rose Bowl, right. and Kirby got the advantage. You know, win, win that game, and I think if he obviously if he doesn't win that game, he's not being ranked ahead of Lincoln Riley. But he did win that game, and it was you know gets to gets to ultimately play for a national championship, and that's the thing that Lincoln Riley hasn't done yet. Yeah, Some would probably argue though that the two Heisman Trophy things in his first two years should put him at number three on this list automatically. See, I think that what shouldn't be. I mean, that? it's impressive to add to your resume, and it's awesome to like from a recruiting standpoint. But especially if like all the arguments we're using, uh, you know, for and against these other coaches, where it's like think of all the obstacles and hurdles they have to overcome with their own, like that are from their own program. I mean, you want to talk about walking into a, I mean, just an absolute like dream. You get Baker Mayfield sure. and sure. you get Kyler Murray. Kyler Murray is one of he will go down in my opinion as one of the most incredible athletes I think in in all of professional sports history because of the fact that like Bo Jackson was an incredible athlete and played both sports. However, no one has ever been drafted in the top ten in the Major League mm-hmm. Baseball draft and the, uh, the NFL draft. It's crazy to have two number one picks, two Heisman Trophy winners. The reason why I'm not as impressed with that is because his offense is fantastic. He obviously puts them in great situations. But he didn't beat Kirby. He didn't really look close to beating Bama. Um, they are 24-4 and four in, his, in his two seasons, which is incredible. Um, however, it's also 0-2 against the SEC. And I think he's a 6-3 versus ranked teams. I mean, it's not, that's not even a bad, a bad record. 
I just I would put him behind Kirby because the fact that like I think what Kirby Kirby's had to build more I think at Georgia and also there's no way Lincoln Riley can keep up this pace. Well, when Jalen Hurts wins the Heisman, if Jalen Hurts wins the Heisman, I'm going to lose my mind. <laughs> Lincoln Riley will be the best coach in the history of the world if that happens. But I mean, like, it's it's one of those things where it's like I feel like a lot of times it's like Dak Prescott became a great quarterback because Mullen was able to develop him into a great player. Sometimes right. you have coaches that are able to lean on this, you know, like the strengths and the skills and like the talent of their players. That's all. That's all true. I, I I have no no disagreement with that. I think we're pretty much in, in agreement where where Lincoln Riley should be like that that five six range, and you can kind yeah, of go back and forth six, with Chris man. Peterson. Three through six, yeah. Three through six is very interchangeable. You can make pretty much any argument to fit your case with that. And you know, I was like I said initially a little bit had had put Jimbo a little bit lower, but then kind of thought about man, you know, let's not forget about how good they were with with Jimbo yeah. and that year that was just one of the. I mean, that really was one of the best seasons in college football history in terms of how much they dominated. Um, so, like, I, I don't think that can be overstated and how few coaches there are um, currently active with rings. Shout out Mac Brown, who is apparently the number 22 coach combined with ACC and SEC, whatever that was. Um, but anyways, I think this was a better ranking than anything that we saw last week. Would you Hold on. Yeah, so, yeah. for 10 real quick, this is the last thing we'll say. The, re- and the reason why I couldn't bring in Brian Kelly, you know, I didn't realize this. Brian Kelly has 252 total wins. Is that it? Just That's incredible. Oh, yeah. I thought you were, like, getting to a point with that. I thought you were going to say, that like, was oh, the he's point. got this many against Ray no, I, just, I, didn't, oh, okay. first of all, I, like, I didn't realize he was saying? that old. He's been a head coach for 29 seasons. But 252 career wins, that's the most among active um, Power 5 coaches. Like, that's that's crazy. I, I I flirted with the James Franklin thing and quickly uh, stopped immediately because of his what he had to do. I would have stopped on you so I hard. I mean, to, but to be fair, again, with the argument that we have made for these other coaches, like what he – I mean, Penn State is a national blue blood, in my opinion, and a, a pretty great opportunity. But at the same time, they're in a very difficult division, and he got, he got to Penn State on the heels of one of the worst, you know – house cleanings for any any football or athletic department since the SMU incident in like the 80s. Um, I'm going to tell you why I have Orgeron at 10. Because I, I really wanted to put Mike Leach in there. But I put Orgeron in, here's why. Wait, are you going to do it in Coach O voice or not? It's on Kyle. Kyle! <laughs> you, don't, you don't have to. You don't have no, to. So, so I realize how bad and just like, just horrifically bad of a coach he was at, at Ole Miss. And I understand that two of the four seasons he's had as a head coach have been as an interim coach. I don't think that, that we give him enough credit for like the difficulty of of being an interim coach, especially at programs like LSU and USC. And, you know, in those two seasons, he went 12-4. and four. When, when you, like, he hasn't been able to beat Bama. He hasn't been able to get over that hump. However, um, and I think he has a losing record against, against Mullen, to be honest. But he is. But he did whip the dog crap out of Georgia. Dog crap. He's thirty-one and eleven as a head coach since twenty thirteen, which is a seven thirty-eight winning percentage. He's finished ranked all four years. They've been to a New Year's uh, Day bowl, I think, the last three years in a row at LSU, and three of the four he's been a head coach. He's twenty-five and nine at LSU with a fifteen and seven conference record and fifteen and four versus teams not named Alabama. Since twenty thirteen, he's six and three versus top ten teams. All three losses were to number one ranked Alabama. In the four years he's been a head coach, he has beaten David Shaw, who was a, a top-five team, um, on the road, by the way, Lamar Jackson, who won the Heisman Trophy, Kirby Smart, who I think is where we both think is a top-five coach, Auburn twice, and snapped UCF's two-year unbeaten streak. 
uh, he's what he's we don't give him enough credit because he's uh, just a cartoon of a person with the way he talks he's done an incredibly good job I don't know if he's a top ten coach necessarily, but I just he needs some love. <laughs> I love that you made the argument though. I you know love, what I mean? Like I he love. just I don't think we give him enough enough I agree. credit. Doesn't get enough credit, doesn't give enough get enough money, doesn't get enough Red Bull on a Saturday morning. Yeah, Coach O needs more of everything. Everything, Connell. We need more Coach O. Um, we are not getting a whole lot of Coach O in the offseason, but we are getting some peak offseason content. And this is something that we're gonna try and do every single week. Oh god. Some peak offseason content. One that we see out in the media that we're just like, oh my gosh, it's peak offseason. Everybody knows it. And also, we are going to provide some of our own peak offseason content. So, I want to make it known right now that peak offseason was not the words that came out of my mouth when I read this damn article. What were the words that came out of your mouth? They were real bad. Real bad. All right. In case you did not see, AL.com had a column on the regionalization ruining college football. Said that in a broken system, regional dominance by Southeast was ruining college football by Joseph Goodman. There you go. All right. So, Joseph Goodman said that it's a broken system. One, because Texas and California have not had a team in the playoff during the five years of its existence, because UCF has not made the field, um, despite the fact that it was undefeated in the regular season last year. Did you know that? Please don't gloss over how egregious (laughs) of a statement that is. Let me dramatically read how, because I was bent out of shape over this, and Allie had to walk away from me because she was like, okay, here we go. Yeah, that's Because this person writes for AL.com, and it's obviously like, it's like almost like a Jerry Springer type thing. Like this, he seems like the kind of person like you write for an SEC audience in a thriving SEC me like you know um, what do you call it city. So this is like if you go to a Cubs Cardinals game and some a hole comes up with better seats than you, but he's wearing all Yankee stuff. It's like no, nah, I just want to be different. I want to be obnoxious. I just want. I mean, you know, just basically ruin your time. Texas, California, and Florida are the three recruiting hotbeds of the country for college football players, and represent the largest population centers of football-loving fans. What? Where'd you find that metric? Football-loving fans. And, okay. Yet those three states have only produced one participant in the college football playoff. In the first year of the new system, Florida State played Oregon in the Rose Bowl. Psst. Um, college football recruiting is more national than ever, and everybody can get to the state of Texas and California and Florida, and they can fly there, and they spend a lot of time there, and they definitely know that those programs... Or those states are really talent rich. Those are also a good idea to get the down there. population just centers just of football loving fans in California. That's why they don't oh, want to stay right, home. Right. Uh, he goes on to say, and this is where I, I really lost my mind. Meanwhile, teams from the Midwest, Michigan State, Ohio State, and Notre Dame have combined to score three points in the college football playoff in the last four years. This just did. I like that point. Um, <laughs> one field goal by Notre Dame against Clemson, blah, blah, blah. Teams from Pennsylvania and the Virginias. Hot bets. Three other epicenters for college football have yet to make the playoffs. What are we talking about here? First off, I'm not saying that people don't care about high school football or football in general in Virginia or West Virginia or Pennsylvania. They do. They've got good Especially, talent, but it's not like, yeah, yeah it's not a Remember the Titans was, was from Virginia? What oh, else? If you ever say that West Virginia is an epicenter for college football, if you ever say West Virginia is an epicenter for anything besides meth or like Mountain Dew stained teeth, like I, I just, I'm sorry, or coal mining, I don't know. Um, that's it's like what I don't understand is what the point of this whole thing was this whole article, but basically it's not fair to the other teams from states that have a lot of good football players that that don't have good football teams. 
Yeah, which is weird because he argues that, oh, these, these states have all these great, you know, it's, these are talent-rich states, and they should be getting to go to the playoff. But it, and then he's like, oh, but there's all the, where all the recruits are is where all the teams are going to the playoff. It's like, wait, what, what's the point that you're trying to make? So he never says how the sport is broken. Never says like, oh, the attendance is just tanking right now. Or, right, oh, right. TV rights deals are going down the tube. Just says that it's ruining it in general. Just basically pointing out like, oh, you know what? Clemson and Bama have accounted for half the playoff berths, and this probably means something. So, like, is there a column here? Is that is that what we're doing? I'm glad that you. That column does great that's work. That's a very not, reasonable not and logical and measured response. That's that that is like that's the actual point that we should have made Gosh. instead of me just yelling incessantly. <laughs> I mean, so the last thing he brought up was he said Alabama's starting quarterback Tua Tagovailoa is from Hawaii and grew up a fan of Ever teams of in the Pac-12. Alabama's starting running back Najee Harris is from California. Alabama star receiver Jerry Judy is from South Florida. They came to Alabama to win national championships with Nick Saban and then go on to the NFL. And good for them, but it's not good for the sport, though. So this just in, guys, if there's anything we've learned from the offseason, one, you stay in your assigned rooms. You're not allowed to go anywhere. Two, uh, Coach Joe's a top ten coach. And three, whatever state you were born in, you will stay there until the end of your life and your last, last dying breath. It's like Hunger Games your state, with, with football. Your state is your your state is your family. All yeah. right, you know you need to own that. I think Tua needs to show a little more appreciation for his Hawaiian culture. You know, I think I think he really doesn't get back and give give enough you know love to his roots. I think that's the real problem. Just, I don't I don't wish so it was dumb, ridiculous, so man. It was a un- so you know what. That being said, guys, why don't you send us in your worst take, <laughs> your absolute worst take? We'll read it on air. Uh, best ones will will win a prize. But yeah. Just that was that was tough. Yeah, that was rough. Peak off season content. Yeah, our peak off season content. Oh, yeah, I think every, I think everybody's gonna enjoy this actually. Um, so the NCAA softball tournament starting up. Casey, you haven't heard all thirteen. Yes, thirteen SEC teams are in. Um, sick brag, SEC softball. Boom. How do you like me now? Shout out Holly Rowe. She's probably gonna be everywhere doing all the reporting because that's what Holly Rowe does. She's everywhere. It's the third straight um, year they've done it, Connor. Third straight year. It's pretty impressive. It's really impressive. Yeah. It's, you gotta ask. Is there bias towards the SEC in college Oh my God, softball? they brought that up this morning. My column. Um, so we came up with SEC beer softball league teams. Now, we had one former coach, one former player, and eight current coaches. We came up with a starting lineup with a batting order and what position they are playing. This is our peak offseason content. I'm not, yeah, don't say it like that, especially on the heels of that, that idiot from, from AL.com. I mean, guys, you want rankings? You want stuff to help get you through the offseason? How about fantasy sports that we're making up purely hypotheticals of a beer league softball team just strictly made up of SEC coaches and, and from Wait what? a minute. Did you copy my top four? No. I, no. We the same exact first four. No, and I also want to say this. This was supposed to be a very fun, like, kind of, you know, not very serious exercise that oh, we were going to do. And I thought it would be very fun for the listeners because, you know what I mean? You know, we got to get through this time together. We can't just keep talking about Game of Thrones online. Regardless, I put a very standard lineup, one through nine, threw in a DH. Connor immediately corrected me and said, we, nah, 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 we nah, need to nah. make sure we have no a, a, a left. We have a DH. We need to have a left center field and a right center field. Yes, because this is softball. And if we're playing beer league softball, as you know, I got a game tonight. Um, hopefully that goes really well. We've been pretty much run ruled in every game. It's been pretty ugly. Um, co-ed church league softball is apparently it's like a little LaCroix bit more league softball. I didn't know beer league softball. Yeah. Um, but yes, 
you need that because you can locate you can locate where you're going to hit so well. You can't just play with three outfielders. It's really different. What is your batting average Anyways, right now? Probably close to 600. Are you keeping up with your batting average, Connor? I mean, like I kept a loose tally the like, first three games, but then I kind of lost lost track. Where are you hitting in my the last order? Wasn't, my last at bat was my last I hit third last game, but I'm not a power hitter. I'm not a power hitter. I did hit inside the park homer last game though. Sick brag to me. Um, two people collided in right field on a shot in the gap, and it worked out really well for me. <laughs> anyway, as you would say, regardless. Regardless. Why don't you start us off with your lineup here? No, I want you to do this, Connor. All right, let's do it. So, at leadoff, the one, the only, Derek Mason, who is my second baseman, hitting number eight two. Eight current coaches. Got, hold on real quick. Eight current coaches, one yes. former coach, and one former player. That's the 10-man Correct. roster. Correct. Will Muschamp is my two-hitter. I have Muschamp playing shortstop. Number three, this is painfully obvious, and I'm glad both of us included this. Uh, Mr. Uh, Timothy Tebow, friend of the podcast, you might have heard of him. He is obviously playing left center field because that is where the most action is. I did not is. want to put him in there. That, that's I, I copied that one from you. That was good. Yeah, thank you. Um, Barry Odom is my cleanup hitter just because he looks like he could murder a softball. Uh, I've got Barry Odom playing right field just because his knees might be a little bit creaky. Um Matt Luke is my number five hitter. He looks like he could really put his weight behind one. I think what? he'd be a great beer league softball player. He, He's my pitcher. I feel like he looks like he would constantly be picking the ball up off the ground with his glove. No, 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 no. Former offensive lineman. Those offensive linemen can play some beer That's league fair. softball. Yeah. Uh, number six, the one, the only, Coach O. Uh, Coach O is I'm, I'm putting behind the plate at catcher because I'm, I'm not saying that he can't run because I would not want to see Coach O with a head of steam. But I think that he's more suited for the catcher. And if you had a play at the plate, you're rounding third, and you got to see Coach O. You got to you got to make make a decision there. Coach O's tagging you out every you're, time. You're just gonna run to the. If you're guy. running like spikes up and at at the plate in softball. That's a problem. It's kind of a hard O move. Yeah, big time hard O move. Do you wear uh, pants? Seven, do you wear pants when you play? No, I don't. All right, just making sure. I do wear cleats though. You got to wear. Cleats. I would have. I would have hung up on you right now and let you finish the podcast yourself. Nah, no, no, no. I'm not. I'm not that into it. I used to wear a cup back in the day, Jeez. just in case. But then I stopped wearing a cup. Um, number seven, Jeremy Pruitt. I've got Jeremy Pruitt in right center field, forward defensive back. I think he could track down balls a little bit in the outfield. Number eight, uh, put your money in this bank, aka Mark Stoops. I've got Stoops playing third base, and number nine. Yes, I went heavy. I went heavy yeah. on this one. This is my former coach spot. I've got Burt, good old Brett Bielema, in that number nine hole. I've got Burt playing first base. Don't have to move a lot. I initially had my guy Joe Moorhead there, but I moved him off Ugh. because I was like, all right, got to make some room. I throw him to a big target like Joe Moorhead would be great, but whatever. Joe Moorhead's going to coach this team to victory, no doubt about it. And in my number 10 spot, I have my second leadoff hitter, Kirby Smart, who I have playing in left field guarding the line for me so that is my lineup what's yours so again beer league softball i i I, I should have known you were going to take this too seriously because because i I wasn't trying to write out a lineup to win games i'm trying to think of if i'm going to play beer league softball the last thing i'm going to do is take it seriously um i will say last year i played softball at piedmont park there's no fences so it's a nightmare if anybody actually is strong um and some kid tried to go from first to third on me, and I, I screamed, that's a mistake, as I threw him out. But then I sailed the ball roughly 10 <laughs> yards to the – not even over the, his head, to the right. It was terrible. It was terrible. And I had to, like, pretend like it slipped out of my hand. Oh, anyway, my so my goal is just to have fun. 
uh, if it's beer league softball. So I have at pitcher my former former coach. I can't get it was over bad. That. I can't it was get over really that. I, that would have been so not tough. I told you about oh the get out of here ball story when I was in college. They hit the top of the fence. That was pretty bad. So anyway, um, I have four. Uh, my pitcher Steve Spurrier. Steve Spurrier, man. I'll say I'll say baseball player from Johnson City, Tennessee. Uh, when he was in high school, he like it was originally Saban, but I feel like one of those like you gotta have an old timer. You gotta have an old timer or somebody that wears like a lot of ace bandages on their knees to be your pitcher. Because they can put the English on the ball. Yeah. They know they know things and angles that you don't. Yeah. They've had they've had too much experience. They, and they're right. usually like they're like fun, but also like like there's a part of them that you don't want to be around. Like they like usually have like a mustache or really like like they'll they'll have like two monster energy drinks before the game. Um okay. so I've got Steve Spurrier at pitcher, because he's awesome. At catcher, the old man, Nick Saban. Can't not have Saban on your on your on your softball team. Almost had him at second base, and then I switched him out. Thought, you know what? Just in case, I, I don't know if Saban Saban's a little bit leisurely in terms of how he well, moves. He, he kind of gets up hip. and down. He, yeah, he just got the new hip, coming off some surgery. I, I don't know. I'm gonna wait and see how Saban's rehab goes first. Um, first base, Mark Stoops. Put your money in this Put your bank. Money in this bank. Second base, I cannot believe if you have a beer league softball team, like why did you not have Jimbo Fisher on your team? Probably you imagine have Jimbo and Steve Spurrier and Nick Saban all in the same infield. Um, at shortstop, I have Barry Odom. See, here's the thing, Connor. The, the one part of this game that I did take seriously is, it like if you're playing softball, if you play third base, you're a, you're you're a special person. You're either trying way too hard, um, or really don't care about uh, your, your face, face, or potentially yeah. having kids one day. There's I can't tell you how many things I would rather do than than play third base in a rec league softball game. It's not like those they ever like take care of the, that diamond. It's just rocks. Oh yeah, hit hit a yeah. rock up into the face. Yeah, it, it's and, bad. The angles there are are not. Right, fun. And every single person, that, like for, for the most part, is trying to like pull the ball as hard as they can. So you got to have somebody big and angry on that side. They don't have to be good with the glove. They have to basically just knock everything down um, and not care about their teeth. So I have Ed Orgeron at third base. Yeah, that's good. And then I have Barry Odom at shortstop. There's not a single ball getting through that infield. Um, Oh, I didn't do this like based off of like the the lineup. Damn it. That's okay. You can do the lineup. Okay. Left field, Kirby Smart, defensive back, as you said. Same position. Left center field. uh, Thanks to you, Tim Tebow. I want to put Todd Helton, but I didn't. Um, Right center field. Really good. He would just be obnoxious though. He'd be like hitting very, very hard hit like long singles because he's old. No, he hit, for, he hit for some pop back in the steroid era. That's true. He hit for some pop. Um, Will Muschamp, right center field. And in right field, Derek Mason. I'll tell you who I almost put as my, my former coach was Joker Phillips because he was an incredible athlete from Kentucky. That would have been good. Uh, and also yep. Kevin Sumlin. So here's my lineup. I got Derek Mason leading off. I got Will Muschamp in the two-hole. Tebow's third, of course. Barry Odom, four. Same top four, by the way. Just saying. Okay. Um, no, that's hold on. That's I'm reading yours. That's why. Uh, hold on. Sorry. No, no, no. We have the same. Okay. Top four. We have the same. Top so four. five. I have Orgeron. Uh, six. I have Mark Stoops. Seven. Kirby Smart. And in the bottom of the order is not good. Uh, Jimbo Fisher, Steve Spurrier, and Nick Saban. Whew. Yeah. See that you're making too many outs there. Those are rally killers at the end. of Yeah, that but line. then afterwards we get to go drink and have fun and go to like a Taco Mac or whatever or a Chili's and have some Dollaritas and tell stories. Why can't I just invite Saban and Joe Moorhead and Jimbo Fisher to my and Dan Mullen? You know he'd be there. Dan Mullen would be on first base like 
you know, sitting there talking about analytics or something what? like that and wearing his pleated khakis and being like, hey, you should actually let the first pitch go because chances are like... Dan pitchers, Mullen? You know, that, yeah. He's a skinner. Whole, He'd be coaching first base. That's not bad, yeah. I would. I mean, that whole sentence is probably why Saban would not want to be like come hang out with your softball team, though, let's be honest. Yeah, no, that's probably true. That was fun, though. That was good off-season, peak off-season content. From Tell us. us where we're wrong. Um, oh, man. I just, I really now I want to Capri Sun some orange slices. Moving on. Speaking of wrong, you've been wrong a lot today, but you've handled it well. I'm just, I'm just saying. Statistically. Right. Um, no, I'm kidding. So, fourth and wrong this week. We had some good submissions. Probably because that was, like, angry and, like, semi-threatening our audience if they didn't have some good ones this week. So, each and every week, we have four separate submissions of questions or advice that our audience wants answered, non-football-related, of course. So, your first question from Michael Luker on Twitter, what is your worst high school memory? Ooh, this is tough. Um, I'm going to say, like, senior year turnabout, where my high school girlfriend, everybody knows you know, unless you married your high school sweetheart, congratulations to you. You're part of like the 3% of the humans in this world. Um, my high school girlfriend threw a temper tantrum at like our, we call it turnabout dance where the girls ask the guys. Like a Sadie um, Hawkins? That's in, the, that's in the spring. Yeah, yeah, same thing. But we're Yankees, so we don't call it that. Um, but yeah, she like threw a, a temper tantrum and basically like stormed out and threw a fit for like no reason whatsoever and was mad the entire night, like ruined our entire group's night just basically for no reason whatsoever. So, yeah, that wasn't fun. Oh, wow. Um, most of my bad memories are, like, actual bad memories, so I'm not going to share those. What I'm going to share with you is it's from my freshman year of college, but it also was it kind of, like, spilled over from high school. So I, I have hyperhidrosis, so I sweat all the time, no matter what uh, season or temperature is outside. So when I was a senior and a junior, um, I was in like an aide, like in the, uh, admissions office or whatever, like the, that office is like when you're, if you're late. Um, so I'd have to like walk around and give notes to people in class and blah, blah, blah. Every single day for two straight years, Connor, in fourth period, I had to go to the far side of campus to the old gym and take off my shirt and my undershirt and put it under the blow dryers because it's the only bathrooms that had them and dry off my shirts because of the ridiculous amount of sweat pouring out of my body. Because you're like, it was, I mean, it's not gross. It's just, I mean, it didn't smell. It's just like, kind of rude. Anyway, what's gross is what happened the year after that in, when I was in college because we had practice one day. Again, sweat a lot. We had been we had like been out for like two and a half hours, and we had a barbecue with the, the entire athletic department of every single team, every single athlete. So I had like just gotten in shape, was feeling myself. And the soccer team was going to be there, softball team, basketball team, all those things were going to be there. Um, and our coach got mad about our lack of hustle and made us, didn't let us go home and change for the barbecue. Like everyone else was like in somewhat like, you know, polos or college shirts. We had to go in our workout gear and we get there before anyone else because like it's like the pavilion we were at was at the baseball field. And I hear some of my teammates start laughing. They're like, Marler, what is on your back? And I'm not exaggerating this and i'm sorry for it being inappropriate i had sweated a like an absolutely perfect outline of the male reproductive organ on my back full on my back panicked ran to the bathroom then threw my entire shirt off put it under the sink and made it soaking wet like i thought that would be better and it was already too late everyone had seen it and then uh people made fun of me called me a lot of names so this was college yeah 
It was awful. All right. It was tough. That's pretty rough. I, I, I don't have anything else to say to that other than, yeah, I mean, the sweating thing, that's out of your control, but it seems like the situation could have been handled a little Oh, without a doubt. It just could have been handled a lot better. I will say that. Um, if that ever happens again, now I know what to do. Second question, what do I do with the time between graduation and starting work? Sent from Dustin Smith 95 on Instagram. Oh my gosh, that means he was born in 95. Yeah, that happens. That's not that bad. A lot of our listeners were born in, in the 90s, like myself. Um, if you're, if you have like two weeks, enjoy it, hang out with friends, see people that you wouldn't, you know, maybe you wouldn't normally see. Um, make sure that your days aren't totally unproductive. I feel like you should make make a make it a point to do like at least one productive thing a day, whether that's like working out or making sure like, oh, I've got work clothes and stuff yeah. like that. Because yes, you need to enjoy that time because your whole life is going to change very soon and you're going to realize, oh, I have to go to work and there's no like summer vacation for that unless you're a teacher. But I would just make sure that you do one productive thing a day while making sure that you enjoy your time, depending on how long it is. Because if you fall off the face of the earth during that time, th- those first couple weeks at work are a struggle bus. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, uh, one, congratulations on graduating. Two, go back right and now. And having a job. That's yeah, good. What the, I mean, it's just, it seems like he's just bragging at this point. Um, yeah. Go back to college immediately. Dro- like, just quit this job. I don't care what it is. Uh, yeah, but if you say you have like two weeks, what I would do personally is stay uh, at your campus, uh, wherever you are at, for at least a week and um, live it up, man, because like, you're not going to ever be able to go back to those days. And when I say live it up, I mean go out and drink. But also soak in some memories with, like, with your friends and, and you know, if they haven't left yet because I know everyone's graduating. You lose touch with those people. The only thing I would say from a productive standpoint, yeah, you're right. Make sure you get um, clothes and you don't look like an idiot when you first go your first day at work, but also make sure you start trying to get used to getting up early. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point because once you have to do that every day for work, I mean, it takes, it takes a while yeah. to get to that point where you're like, oh man, like seven o'clock every single day, this is six o'clock, whatever, whatever right. it is. It's brutal. I feel like you were just doing the, the Billy Madison where he's like, stay here. For, as without long a, as you dude, can. why would you leave college if you had the choice to? I, I mean, I, I was there for way too long. All right, your third question from Will the Thrill on Instagram: Who is your favorite rapper, Connor? If you say Jason Derulo, he's he's a rapper, right? Oh, he counts. No, um, believe it or not, I was a child of '90s hip hop, and I, like I said, I've said on this podcast before, my first CD that I ever owned that I should not have owned, but I owned was Dr. Dre, 2001. Ooh. So my favorite rapper of all time is the D.R.E. That's pretty good. I stole a, West Coast. stole the 3-6 Mafia no beef, on some scissor CD from a media play. That was one of the worst things I've ever done. I would say this. Tell us. What? I was going to say, tell us about the ATL and how rap is, is so much Do, better. I mean, it definitely dirty. is. Um, we don't say the dirty, though. My bad. Sorry. So I, I would say, this is tough. I, I mean, I, I love Meek Mill. I love... Um, I love Future a lot, especially because he's from Atlanta. Um, but I think... Shout out Sierra. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, I would say probably of all time is Childish Gambino. His last couple albums haven't been my favorite, but he's from Sun Mountain. He's got incredible lyrics. He's just so smart. So I, that's Childish Gambino is probably, probably my favorite. I'm going to regret saying that later, I'm sure. Um, and last but not least, your fourth question... From Andy Goins, once again, what is the worst non-sports injury you've ever had? 
So I realized this is non-sports injury, but this this did not happen while I was playing sports. I was a sports camp counselor back in the day, like 10 years ago, 10, 11 years ago. And we started doing this thing amongst the counselors where we would give each other dead legs, which sounds bad, and it is. So the way that we did it was you take your knee and you knee somebody in the thigh. And if you've ever experienced this, you know what I'm talking about. Your thigh basically will fall asleep after this. Like, you know, you get it like right in the quad. You, get, you take a knee to the quad and it hurts. It's it's not like a smash, but it's just enough. It's a little bit of a bump to just be like, wow, this sucks right now. So one of our counselors one day, at, as kids were leaving camp that day, um, was, was coming up to my right to dead leg me. And somebody behind me let me know like, oh, watch out. And so as I, as I turned to my right to see the counselor who's coming up to dead like me, I turned my knee and his knee hits my knee and he dislocates my knee badly. Oh, that's the worst. I, I fall to the ground. There are kids still there. There are kids that are like, mom, is he okay? And I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. And I'm like doing whatever I can. This is back in the day, pre Connor, no more cursing to not curse. That is, that is my goal in that moment. So well, if you've ever, yeah, if you've ever experienced a knee dislocation, which I have now three times, um, not fun. So yeah, I would say that's my worst non-sports injury. The two other times I dislocated my knee were both sports related, so it doesn't count. Um, I mean, I broke both my hands from being drunk and punching a wall like an absolute idiot. That's got to be the wait. Wait, both? both? Like how, sep- how far I mean, apart like were they? Several months. It was the worst. I guess that's probably that's oh, it's man. hands down the worst. One time my mom got super glue in my eye. That was tough. Um, I, it's got to be the hands mm. thing because it was like so dumb and stupid and like. I broke my right hand, didn't go to the hospital because I was like, I'm oh, sure it's fine for like a week. And then like once the swelling went down, it was like the bone was actually broken in half. Like like the outside bone of my, my hand was was literally split in half on Ooh. top of each other. Um, and then like, I don't know, six months later, and I told my mom that I had like fallen playing like Ultimate Frisbee or something stupid. Oh yeah, and your mom no, didn't without a doubt. Soon so like six months later, same stupid, dumb thing. Me just being like a, a douchebag, I guess, in college. Like, I I literally reared back with my right hand. And I was like, no, that's stupid. Um, then I hit like the like a, a giant wooden door, like it's like big oak wooden door, with my left hand and broke it immediately as well. It was it was the, the dumbest thing I have ever done in my life. Except saying that cigarettes are your favorite. Yeah, smell, I mean, so. it's, there's a long list, but that definitely tops it. And then, of course, like probably like six months later, my mom was like, "I was like home for Christmas," and she's like, "Hey, so me and Russell, my stepdad, have a question. Um, how long are you gonna continue pretending that you broke your hand from falling in ultimate frisbee? We know you got drunk and punched a wall." I was like, "All right, cool, thanks, guys." The fact that you would ever try and keep something from Patty Sue is just—it's inexplicable. I have that. You gotta at this point. You gotta just assume. That I'm she an open already. book more so now, but at the time that was that was pretty embarrassing. Um, all right. Yeah. So up next, before we close out the show, we've got mean tweets with Marler. And so we started this last week, where we go over the rudest things that I've read on the internet this week, um, and they're both Florida related. So we've got from Hertz Investigator in response to a tweet that we wrote said, "On a scale of one to fourteen thousand, how much does Dan Mullen regret saying this?" He said, I don't think sociopaths with no self-awareness are capable of such feelings. Whoa. Wow. Um, Damn, Owen's sociopath? I I I doubt it. That seems a little much. Um, And then last but not least, this was on Instagram when we posted the same exact quote. uh, It was the same exact day. And it was literally a day after we had posted the Bike Bianchi quote about how Georgia's the most overrated program in the country. And... 
what is his name? Jeremy Florida Lee on Instagram said, I don't think, oh, I'm sorry, nice try with you justification there, except you by far bash on the Gators more than any other team, religiously. Should think about changing your name to Licking UGA's Bowl or giving me a few, give me a few I can come up with better. I don't, so, just ball, one, just one, one of them, which I thought was right. unique and specific. Yeah. Um, and I, I told him, I responded, I said, absolutely, man, take your time. Uh, there's a lot to unpack there. He never responded, so. It's an interesting name, though. Licking UGA's ball. I don't think it would have I, the I same ring as Saturday Down South. It doesn't market very no. well. Like, I don't know. I think from SEO standpoint. I just it's a lot. It yeah, I haven't that searched well, that in a long time. Yeah. It's kind of a mouthful there. Um, nice. But, yeah, those are good. Keep keep sending us more things. You got to hate in your heart. Let it out, y'all. You said that. You said that a lot, but I love it every time you do because – I go back to a place where one at once upon a time, I'd like to think that you would have been part of this too, right? With what? With the the mean tweet comments. Like if we go back, Connor, really like dug literally in the history. same window of me having this job. Yes. <laughs> you have an idea how long it took for me to delete all my tweets when I first got hired? Is oh man, it's a rough. It was the worst. Worst. <sighs> all right, let's close out with it. Might mean too much. By now, you might have seen this. Um, I realize this has just been such an SEC East-dominated podcast, but um, offensive lineman, recruit, Tate uh, Rutledge, not Rutledge, shout out Laura Rutledge, who has been on this podcast before, once upon a blue moon, uh, way back in the day. Um, Tate Rutledge committed to Georgia over Tennessee. He's a top 40 recruit in the 2020 class. So his dad takes off a Tennessee decal on his truck, He's a lifelong Tennessee fan, but he's like, no, I'm going to support my son. He's got, got some Georgia, he's got the Georgia plate now. He's putting on the front of his truck. So that's not the, the it might mean too much. Because that's actually like, oh, you're willing to like change fan bases for your son? That's like actually pretty, you know. He got in the car and never came dad. back. Like, way, to, way to go. Um, so um, the initial tweet from Cody Chaffins, Chaffins? I, I don't know how to say his name. It got over 2,200 likes and counting. And the fact that this is actually a story of like father of recruit takes off decal on car is one peak off season content and two peak SEC Twitter because the replies to this were absolutely hilarious. The first person that I saw that had like a really good reply was look at look at how easy that sticker gave up because there was <laughs> video of him pulling the sticker off, which was so funny to watch. And then the comment to that in response was it gave up almost as easy as your all's defense on that Hail Mary. Wow. Oh, man. Um, so we're still going back to 2016 to talk about the Georgia-Tennessee. People don't forget. Apparently. People don't forget. Um, but, yeah, that's a great little, it might mean too much, peak off-season stuff. I've said peak off-season. So much. Shout out too many times. Almost as many times as Hannah B. said, roll tide. Ooh, I haven't watched it yet. The Guys, there is some good news. I know that we um, went on and on about stuff that probably isn't that important besides some of the Florida stuff. Oh, it's but important. But regardless, this Thursday is a very, very special day, Connor. Do you know what it is? You are, oh no, it was your birthday two weeks ago. Um, your one year anniversary with the company? Are you doing that? No, actually, that was, that was two years ago. Like, I think it, I mean, like going full time. Oh like no, that's that July first. Um, it's I almost said regardless again. No, this this Thursday marks 100 days until the first game of the 2019 Ooh. college football season. We are almost down to double digits, y'all. That is man. When you see those triple digits up there, and you're like, oh, there's still 125 days left until 
start of college football. This season is now going to be the longest season in college Please football God, history be. because we've got the week zero with uh, with Florida, Miami, and my neck of the woods in Orlando. And then, as we found out, the championship game is not being played until like the 13th, which is 15 days after the semifinals, something like that. So it's basically going to get Super Bowl type treatment for that. So um, yeah, that definitely doesn't have anything to do with. Bama potentially being banged up going into last year's what? national championship. I'm sure that's just a totally no. I saw a lot of those oh my replies gosh. on Twitter though. Yeah, people people like to go there. People like to go there. When are we watching Facebook Live? Not the Bachelorette is back, and you your Monday nights are suddenly very. So very it busy. is. We're still doing it on Mondays, but I I, I mean at eight thirty, I guess I got to figure it out. I, don't, I mean because I I want to watch this season. Got to DVR because Hannah B is all sorts of SEC. They, she's going to go on a date to Bryant Denny Stadium. Let's be honest. We know that's coming. She already had like the shots of back in Tuscaloosa where she's like everywhere she went, it's just roll tide. Like I don't think they said any of the words. So she was in Ramajamas for when she was meeting with, uh, with Ram Chris. Jams? What's his name before the show started? Chris because Harrison? first off, I think her and Chris Harrison should be. They should date. They they got a they got a thing. I think Chris Harrison. No, he's married. not. He's divorced. I think he's married. Um, trust me, Allie Ooh. told me. All right. But regardless. I'm going to watch it because it has something to do with Alabama. However, I can already tell I am going to get peak off-season irrationally upset the moment she takes one of these a-holes on a like special date and it involves anything involving Bryant-Denny Stadium or Saban. Or, it's, oh, I'm going to be mad. Saban's name was dropped 45 minutes into the episode. It took that long? I should. I should have said an over-under on that because I think the over-under would have been like 15, 20 minutes. Yeah, she said Roll Tide pretty early. She did. Oh, yeah. That, if you're playing the Bachelorette drinking game of Roll Tide, I, I'm sorry. It, it's almost not even fair. You, you really shouldn't do that at this point. Just save your liver. Um, but anyways, we will be back next week. Um, I think we're going to have a guest next week. A, a first-time guest, I believe, is the tentative plan uh, to have this person on potentially to talk about some some LSU stuff, some bigger picture stuff with the SEC. That's a little bit TBD, though. A little peel behind the onion there. But make sure that you're watching Facebook Live. Make sure that you're following on following us on all forms of our social media. Follow us on Twitter, at the Pod, at CMarlerSDS, at CJ O'Gara. Coach O, you're a top 10 coach. What do you have to say for yourself? It violated me too much. Thanks, guys. We'll talk to you next week.